Well, I, I don't know about you, but every Sunday I always enjoy the music here. Uh, you guys do such a wonderful job, and uh, it's great to it's great to be a part of a team of people uh, that that bless us so richly uh, with their capabilities in worship. And as we sang some songs about nothing being wasted and how God is lovely, loving, and how God is wise, and how He just looks at all of what's going on in our lives and assures us with his promises it's one thing to sing it and to read it and to to think about it but it's another thing to be called to live it and if you're like me God is working in different parts of each of our lives to uh, help us to be more confident in who he is what he has in store for us and how along the way he remains faithful and I've been a pastor for uh, 30 years, and I'm always discovering something new. I realize that I'm definitely not perfect by any stretch, and um, I'm glad that I'm in a church where uh, we're just a bunch of imperfect people, uh, fueled by his grace, and moving forward with the awareness that he's just making sure that um, what needs to happen happens. And maybe also, uh, as we just zoom in a little bit, um, a lot of us uh, yesterday uh, were thinking about creation in a different form. Maybe you went outside and you saw flowers and you saw how consistently God is renewing and, and, and rejuvenating uh, his creation. And uh, hopefully you took some time to take it in. Um, and if you did, uh, hopefully you, you're refreshed. Um, and as uh, we look at the glory of all of creation, and we see the heavens declaring his handiwork, it's just God saying, these are signposts to the fact that I'm here with you. But here's the thing. Uh, we're doing a series on insomnia. And obviously there are medical uh, conditions that create it. Uh, there are medications you can take, like Ambien, to try to solve it. And yet, even in those equations, there may be things that God's doing in your life that says, <clears throat> the only way I can get your attention is to kind of stir you up a little bit about something. Well, in 19, or in 2000, and, <laughs> that tells you how old I am. I've been on this planet for over five decades, so I'm sounding like I'm reminiscing here. But uh, <clears throat> just a few short years ago, eight years ago, 2008, I don't know how many of you can remember uh, that year. Uh, but for me, I was the third year into my time here, and uh, the honeymoon period was, was definitely over, uh, probably, uh, as, you know, for, for, for all of us. And now it's like, you know, what, what's he going to do? And prior to that, we didn't have the bread service. We didn't have the wonderful uh, sound uh, system and, and all the stage and all the, all the things that you, you don't really um, pay a lot of attention to, but if they're not there, you know they're gone. And uh, as I'm on the other side of that, Thinking, when is, uh, when is the vision that we've been working on and, and the reality where we're at, when's that gap going to close? And I had a, a season of panic where I thought, I don't know that it's ever going to close, that we're ever going to get to where we, we need to be. And a lot of doubts were just surging through me. And it was creating for me a sense of fear that, uh, that, that just began to take me for a ride. And as fear was becoming the lens that I was viewing all of life through, uh, it, it didn't help any that by, um, by, by, the, by the fall of 2008, gas prices were going crazy. 
people were predicting that by, by the time we reach 2016, it was going to be about 10 bucks a gallon, and uh, your world as you knew it is no longer going to exist. And I'm thinking about my own fears personally and vocationally, and I'm allowing that to just be immersed in fears that are being stoked on a national and global level, and, and it's just starting to lock me up and shut me down. And maybe you've been there. Maybe you were there in that time. Uh, but there are things that God sees in each of our hearts that he says, that guy's going through a hard time. That guy has some fear. I'm going to churn it up to the surface so that we can deal with it. And he did. And maybe he's churning some stuff up to the surface so you can deal with it a little bit through insomnia. Insomnia is definitely what I had at that point, and I had no awareness that God was as involved in the process as he has been, and uh, just a few short later, years later, we would successfully have the bridge service, we would have the equipment that we need to make it happen, we would have the permission of the congregation, and we could successfully launch this service and, uh, and, and it's such a blessing to know that all those things happen. But it was by no means through much of anything I did other than be faithful to the task that I was called to do. But it was rather God just at work in the background saying, you don't really understand this, it seems like, but I've got it all under control. And I didn't understand it. And God said, you can allow fear and worry to just continue to cycle through your, your imagination as long as you want. You can go through sleepless nights as long as you want. But the bottom line is, it's not going to get resolved until you start trusting me a little bit more. And I can just remember one night, about 3 o'clock in the morning, I woke up and I'm like that guy on the screen. And I'm thinking, where is this plane going to land? I've got down the road about 2016. I know I'll have kids in college. And at 10 bucks a gallon, they're going to be in, I don't know what kind of college it'll be, Barber College or something. But it won't be exactly what I envisioned. And so all the worst case scenarios imaginable were flowing through uh, my, my mind at that point. But what God's saying to me in that moment was, so what? So what if it all just collapses? I'm still Lord. I'm still in control, and you need to trust me. Well, it was a message that I heard, I know other people have heard, and maybe about that time, maybe some of you were taken through that as well. Perhaps God is moving through your life right now, and he's saying, yeah, I know there's some stuff in your life I need to churn up, and I know you're not trusting me enough, and I know that as we go through this together, you'll learn to surrender, and you'll learn to trust, and you'll learn to know that not only do I have your back, but I can work all things together for good in ways that you never imagined. Well, just for uh, hopefully uh, a short amount of time here, I want to go back to the time when the followers of Jesus were on the other side of the empty tomb. And they know that what was a very bad nightmarish situation ended well. But there's a new situation that's getting ready to happen. And there's more uncertainty that begins to bubble up to the surface. And it has to do with the fact 
that the guy that 12 apostles had spent uh, three years with and some change uh, is now getting ready to go. And how are we going to carry on with the work that we're called to do without him in the driver's seat? And in Acts chapter 1 verse 6, uh, Jesus, about 40 days after his resurrection, anticipates their fears and their uncertainties and he wants to assure them. And as they are thinking in the back of their mind, what's going to happen, they just blurt out a question um, as they gather around him. Scripture says, uh, they ask him, Lord, are, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? You know, are you going to stick around and, and make everything happen that we've hoped for for, for, for a millennia? And Jesus is like, it's not for you to know the times or the dates or the future that the Father has set into his own, by his own authority. <laughs> the only thing I can tell you right now, and just wrap your mind around it, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And that wasn't the answer they were looking for, but they're listening. And when he said that, he went on to expand on that thought a little bit farther. And he said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. And as he elaborated on that, he's saying, there's a job that needs to be accomplished while you're doing that. And it's to make people aware that first of all, I'm Lord and Savior. And secondly, I'm going to begin to show my presence not through my individual body, but through the body that is a collection of a whole bunch of individuals who will be called the church. And they weren't quite putting that picture together yet. But eventually they became aware that God was up to something in the development of this process. Moving them from the fear and the uncertainty and the unknownness of not having Jesus physically present to the confidence and the vision that came through beginning to experience that spirit that was promised in these words. And I'd like to just for a few minutes talk about how that development occurred. Uh, as, as, as you may know, uh, the Holy Spirit came upon the believers in Acts chapter 2 as they were gathered for worship and trying to piece together what God was up to, trusting that perhaps uh, he's going to show some things that we haven't seen before, knowing that he's capable and probably will. And then all of a sudden, the unthinkable happens. The scripture describes it as this. It's as if tongues of fire came down physically upon this group of people that were representative of uh, different nationalities gathering in Jerusalem for the celebration of Pentecost. And none of them could really, they're not like uh, your friend who could speak five languages. They all just knew their own and they were gathered and they were just kind of like bumping shoulders with people that they couldn't understand the language with. But they all knew God and they all knew some things that they had in common that was the reason for why they were there. And the scripture says that when the Holy Spirit came down, the, the, the unimaginable and up to that point the unprecedented thing happened. People from different languages began to speak in languages that people from other languages could understand. And if you've ever heard of the historic Tower of Babel 
It is where people in Genesis chapter 11 got together and they said, we're going to make a great tower and it's going to be, uh, have our imprint on it and we're going to rule the world. And the scripture says God just scattered them because the intention of their hearts was not in alignment with his intentions. And what God is doing is regathering all of those people and he's showing that they'll be unified and aligned in their intention because they'll be focused on the one thing that really matters and that is my son Jesus. Now where am I going with this? As you and I stay up late at night what will either cause us to sleep well or not sleep well has to do with the degree of trust and connection that we have with our Lord Jesus. If our trust is high and our connection is solid, we're going to rest well. But if we're not sure and we're uncertain and we maybe are thinking, yeah, God's there, but he's not paying attention right now, then maybe you're not going to sleep well. There is within this church an, an embodiment of something that everyone on the planet at one point or another is looking for, and that is hope. And of all the places that we can put our trust in, the church is the one place that is founded on the promises and the character of God. Only the church of Jesus Christ is the future hope of the world. Now, I never thought that in 2016, we would be enjoying the bridge service like we are. Or that we would have the, the talent and the capability and the functionality that we have. It just surpasses what I imagine. And I never thought when people were telling me when gas was hovering around four bucks a gallon that I'd ever see gas go down to a, a, a buck and a half. And I don't think anybody else did either. I believe that underscores something. And that is we can imagine away all we want what the outcome of the future is going to be based on all the inputs that we have. But I have to tell you something. Whatever inputs you have apart from God are not sufficient to get a beat on what's going to happen in the future. When Jesus said, I'm going away, and he left... He said, just as I left, I am coming back. And that time that is sandwiched between his departure and his appearance is Jesus' time. And it's kingdom time. And it is the time for the best and greatest enterprise on the planet to start doing their job. Because God has their back. And you know what that enterprise is? The church of Jesus Christ. The hope of the world. And that's us. And the reason why God says, trust me, I have promises that I, won't, uh, that, 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 that I won't let you down with. Trust me that I'm working it all together for good. A lot of us, especially myself, I'm pretty thick. I have to learn things the hard way. It starts to settle in. Oh, you know what? Don't know what's happened out there. But God is trustworthy. So I can just get about the business that I need to take care of because everything I'm worried about, he's going to take care of. And so everything that we do in Christ's name 
is a signpost to a greater reality called the kingdom of God. And when you start trusting, then you start living in the kingdom, knowing that God is going to be at work in the details of our lives and in the details of the world so that we can get busy with working out the things that he's calling us to do. Our job is to make sure that the good news gets shared. God's job is to support us in the process so that we can carry on with the work. And I have to tell you, one of the most important things that we can do as we grow in our relationship with the Lord is to begin to trust that He has an economy that's different from the world's economy. That He has a security that's different from the world's security. That He has a timeline for the future that is different than anything we may work out. He is in control. And if I'm not distracted by things that I'm worried about, that I shouldn't be worried about, then I can get busy doing the things that I need to do and focus on them. Well, I think that God has a divine to-do list. Now, my wife and I, we yesterday took the dog out for a walk, and I forgot that in the spring, my wife, in her role, uh, comes up with her, I won't say divine to-do list, but it's pretty close. And it's like, these are some things we need to be doing. It's an editorial we, which means I come up with the ideas, you come up with the execution of the ideas. Um, it was a short dog walk. I said, we got to go in the house. The dog's thirsty. Because if it had went any longer, the to-do list would have been overwhelming. So I uh, went in the house with my to-do list, knowing these are the things that I have to do to make um, a happy wife, happy life. That's a whole nother calling. But all just inside, uh, aside, um, God actually has a list for us. And he sees things that need to be done that we don't fully see until we just begin to walk in that direction. And as my wife and I are walking through the woods... You know, she's pointing out some things that need to be done, and I hadn't really thought about that until she raised it. And then all of a sudden, you're coming up with a vision and a plan to do certain things that will, you know, work, uh, improve the property. But for God, He looks at lives, and He looks at the church, and He sees the shortcomings in those lives that He wants to help address, to love into transformation through. Jesus Christ and His presence in our lives through the Holy Spirit. And as God is doing that, He's continually looking for new opportunities for you and I to begin to move into others' lives. So first of all, God has a divine to-do list. And I don't know if you realize it or not, but for each of us, it has our name on it. There's something out there that God says, you're the man, you're the woman, you're the person that I have in mind for this. And you may be completely oblivious to what that this is. But God will show you. He'll allow a burden maybe. To captivate you to such a degree that you can't get it out of your head. He'll surface something that you never saw before. And he'll allow your heart to be drawn into it. He will give you an awareness of things that 
you never thought you would be doing. And it's just God's way of linking us up with our list through the things that he sees and the things that he wants to do and the people that he wants to help as he looks at us and he asks the question, do you trust me? Do you trust me to work through you to help that? We had a, a, one of our elders, uh, John Panzot, was here in the, uh, in the last service. John, when everybody was here 10 years ago, I never would have imagined that um, he would be like the champion for the tutoring program with the Guatemalans. Never, never in my wildest dreams. And he neither. Uh, but yet, if you talk about anything relative to helping the Guatemalan students with... Uh, getting up to speed with their, their, their literacy and their functionality. He's the guy. And he's a wild man. If he can get a word in edgewise at an elders meeting about something relative to that cause, he's going to do it. And I'm like, who are you and what happened to John? But I, I'm like, I like the new John even better than John 2.0 or 3.0 or however much God's been working on him. He's a bodybuilder. First picture I ever saw of John Panzot, he showed me. And it was him in a skimpy Speedo, which I didn't need to see. <laughs> but what impressed me was the pose, you know. And it's just muscles everywhere. Like he's an elder and he's a bodybuilder. I guess I don't want to get into a confrontation with him. Well, John, God looked at John and he said, just like he said to the, the disciples, you're fishermen, I'll make you fishers of men. You're a bodybuilder, I'm going to make you a builder of the body of Christ. And maybe he's saying to Sean, you're an engineer, I'm going to help you engineer things that will help the missionary part of what, what's going on. You're a very detail-oriented person, and that's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a strength for what we're trying to do in all these different areas uh, that we're trying to make our influence known through the kingdom. And I don't know what pathway you're on. I don't know if you're a bodybuilder or an engineer or a fisherman or whatever it is, but God's going to say, whatever you're wired to do, that's my pathway to begin to move through your life into areas that have to do with the kingdom. Now, I'm mechanically inclined, I guess, if I were to say I had a strength. And so God's like, I'm going to make you a pastor. And I'm like, no. And he's, yeah, we're going to do that. But I think of everything mechanically. You'll hear, me, you'll hear me use mechanical terminology when I talk about the organizational aspect of what we do. You hear me say words like moving parts, and you hear me say something about, you know, alignment and all that stuff. It's just a vocabulary I'm familiar with. God says, that'll work. I have a divine to-do list. It's got your name on it. Let's get cracking. And I discovered that as I walked into that, there was some joy and peace and fulfillment and all of those things that I didn't think that were behind door number one. And maybe God's saying to you, I got a list for you. And I just want you to pray. I want you to pay attention. I want you to listen. And I want you to look. And pretty soon you'll know. If, if, if you really... Have that desire in your heart. It'll pop up. And that'll just be one of many things that I want to do through you, for you, with you, ahead of you, behind you, 
And in every way, it's just got God written all over it. That's why Matt Bender can go from, look, I'm just an accountant, to now he's a madman baptizing people. We've burned out the heater on our baptism because it just keeps cycling people through there. And it's an awesome problem to have. And I don't know what kind of adventure God has for each of you, but if you walk into it, he'll just say, oh, you're coming along with me? Whoosh! And he'll pull you along faster than you can keep up. But there's another divine to-do list that I want to mention. And that is God in heaven looks at First Christian Church and he says, I want to keep them secure in all those things that they would worry about so that they can focus on the church's divine to-do list. And basically what he does is he looks through the eyes of the members of the body to what is going on outside and he says, wouldn't it be a tragedy if First Christian Church shut their doors and no one even knew? Like, oh yeah, that church closed? I didn't know that. Well, wouldn't it be awesome, of course, if we never close our doors, but if people in the community said, yeah, First Christian, they do good things. They helped us out here. They helped us out there. They got eyes and ears for the community. They bring love. They bring joy. They bring peace. They bring good news. They're not perfect, but they try to do the right thing. And all of those activities that God has on the list aren't just so he can accomplish things that he couldn't accomplish any other way, but rather it is so in the process he grows us, he saves others, he grows others through us. And in all ways, he makes us into the likeness of Christ as he pulls us out of the darkness and the depravity of our own thinking and allows us to discover the riches that he has in himself. And how does that happen? First step, just make that connection. Because it can't happen without a relationship. Jesus may be someone off in the distance. Maybe he's someone that you asked in your heart one time and you felt like that was the moment I got saved. But the reality is, you're not too familiar with him. You don't have a whole lot in common. And Sean, been here for a couple of years. And at first, Sean's just an abstraction. This guy from down, down by um, uh, uh, south of East Liverpool. Steubenville. Right. So, but once I got to know you, it was a completely different experience. And have come to enjoy you and your family. And it's the same with Jesus. Until you know him and begin to experience him, in, in, in the day in and day out of life, you can't really see how he influences you. And that's how God, by design, wants to work. He starts with the things that upset you, the things that worry you, the things that you're fearful of. And he says, let's just start right there. And that's the question.
How come you're not sleeping so well? And that question leads to another question, which leads to the question, do you trust me? Do you trust me to have your back? Do you trust me to save you? Do you trust me to be your Lord forever? Do you trust me to walk through life? And there's a number of of us in the room who've said, yes, Lord, we trust you. And we surrender our lives to you because we've banged our heads against a wall. We've done dumb things. We've perhaps tried it our own way. And 10 times out of 10, your way is really the only way. Like any relationship, it just begins with you opening up and saying, Lord, I'd like to come closer. I'd like to know you. And that's why we're here. And that's why God in 2008 said, don't worry. There's a lot of people that need to know me. We got work to do. Forget about your worries. Get busy doing what you need to do. I've got your back. And he starts with saving us, cleansing us, making us whole, and then sets our feet on a journey, an adventure of trusting him in all that we do.